So we are in the book of Acts. This is the last time we'll be in the book of Acts for a little bit. I'm not 100% sure exactly when. We will jump back into Acts in 2024, but this side of Christmas, this is it. We're in Acts chapter 10, verse 1, and I'm going to just read it and pause and draw out some things I feel like God wants us to get out of this passage of Scripture. So Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. Now this passage this morning is really going to be about two men, Cornelius and Peter. Peter we know. Peter is the, the apostle who usually puts his foot in his mouth, bless him, and commits to all sorts of stuff, not always with thinking. Um, Cornelius is a new person though, so Cornelius is a man living in Caesarea. Now, Caesarea is a coastal city. It sits on the coast of the Mediterranean. It is actually a renamed city, renamed in honour of the emperor, Julius Caesar. It is a mix of Jew and Gentile living in that city, mostly, by this point, Gentile. And there were strained relationships between the two. Uh, Jewish people didn't always get on with the Gentiles and vice versa. And that's all in that background. But this person, Cornelius, is a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. So actually, he would be even more of a provocation in the natural to the Jewish people because he was the occupier. He was the one who, was, who had conquered Israel in the name of Caesar and was now enforcing that rule on the ground. But he was a devout man, we're told in verse 4, verse 2 even. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He is what, we, what they would call back then a God-fearing Gentile. He hadn't gone the whole way and converted to Judaism. Uh, he hadn't gone through that operation that makes most men wince when they think about it, to do that full conversion. But he was attending synagogue and he was praying to the God of Israel. We're told in the, that he did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. So he was a God-fearing Gentile, but he would still have been held at arm's length to a certain extent because there is that huge, if you remember, divide between Jew and Gentile. Jews are the chosen people of God. They are the ones who have been given full access to the temple in varying degrees, depending upon your status and your position in Israeli society, sure. But if you were Hebrew, if you were Jewish, you could at least go into the courts. If you were a Jewish man, you could go into the center courts. And if you were a priest, you could go even further. And if you were the high priest, once a year, you could go into the Holy of Holies. But Gentiles can only be in the outer courts. They can't get into the temple itself. And in the synagogue, it would have been similar. He would have been held at arm's length because although he's a good Gentile, he's still a Gentile. There was that division. He was always praying to God. And on one particular day, about three in the afternoon, that is the traditional hour of prayer in Jewish society. Three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Now, it's important to notice he's not yet a disciple of Jesus. 
He's a God-fearing Gentile. He's aligning himself, although he's a centurion, with the people of Israel from a faith perspective, but he hasn't put his trust in Jesus yet. But God is reaching out to him. God is giving him, a Gentile, a vision of an angel and calling him by name, saying, Cornelius. And Cornelius, staring at him in awe, said, what is it, Lord? He doesn't know what's coming. What, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now, this is showing that all of what that he has been doing as a God-fearing Gentile, his prayers, his acts of charity, his care for the people of God, are being seen as acts of devotion. They're not badges of honour, but they're a memorial offering before God. So God is seeing the heart behind what Cornelius is doing in devotion to him and devotion to the people of Israel. And he counts it as worship. What better reason is there to do good stuff than that God counts it as worship? May we have that same heart as Cornelius. So Cornelius is known by the God of Israel. How amazing is that? A Gentile is known by name by God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. We saw this a few chapters ago with Ananias. Ananias was called by name to go and minister to Paul or Saul. And he was given super specific instructions about where he would find Saul to minister. Here, Cornelius is being given specific instructions. Go to Joppa. He's lodging with Simon the tanner and his house is by the sea. He's being given the cribs notes of how to find the person that God is going to send his way. Now, I was reading John Stott's commentary on this, or his exposition, and he made just a curious comment. The angel didn't tell Cornelius about Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? The angel could have told Cornelius. We have got stories in the Muslim-majority world of Jesus appearing in visions because there's no one to go and preach. But here, the angel in the vision is saying, go and call Simon and listen to what he tells you. I don't know about you, but that shows me that God really, 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 really wants his people to tell people about Jesus. He sent an angel to get someone's attention, but the privilege of actually telling Cornelius about the Lord Jesus Christ is being held for Simon. Have you ever prayed that God would show himself to someone? I have. And this passage shows us that, you know what, God might, but more likely than not, what God will do when he does is say, go and talk to Paul. Go and talk to Devereux. He's a Christian, you know that. Go and talk to Eddie. He'll tell you what's what. Because the privilege of telling people about Jesus is ours. Amen. It is not a task. It is not an obligation. It is a privilege that we get to do.
When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. And after explaining everything to them, he sent to Joppa. He sent them to Joppa. So he sends three men to go and find Peter. And he doesn't just say, go and find Peter. He's, at the, he's also called Simon. He's at Simon the Tanner's house. It's in a house by the sea. He explains everything to them. He explains the vision. He explains what the angel said. And it almost feels to me like maybe, knowing the problems with Jew and Gentile, he feared Peter saying, no, I can't go there. So he wants these men to know everything that Cornelius has seen so that somehow Peter might be convinced that it's worth his time and it's worth crossing the cultural taboo to come and visit a Gentile. And he needn't have worried because the next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry. Glad it's not just me that gets hungry in prayer times, especially when you're fasting. Peter got hungry and he wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. It's not a word we see often in the Bible, a trance, but it's this, this state of seeing a vision, God showing you something by the Holy Spirit. See, God gives Peter a vision to prepare him for Cornelius' servants that are going to come and say, come to my, to my master, please. What did he see in this trance? He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. This is all of the non-kosher animals. All of the animals that for 2,000 years, the people of Israel have been told, do not eat that. It is unclean. It is not for you. It would have inspired kind of revulsion, actually. Peter would have seen that and thought, oh, no, we don't like those animals. What's going on? Why am I being shown this in a vision? And then a voice says to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. That's really going to confuse him. Because this is doubly illegal. It's not just the animals that the, the Torah says you shall not eat of them because they are unclean, they are unholy. The other side of it is that there is no time to drain the blood. Apologies for people that I know don't like to think of this thing. But in the day, back in the place of Israel, it wasn't just you had to kill it in the right way. You also had to make sure that there was no blood left in the meat. And that took time. So Peter is being told, get up, kill and eat. So it's doubly illegal as far as he is concerned. No, Lord, Peter said. Peter is quite famous for saying no, Lord. It's nice to see he's got at least one more in him. No, Lord, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Now, it's possible there's a little bit of spiritual pride still going on in there. I couldn't possibly do that, Lord. No, I've never done that. And I've, I've denied you, but I've never done that. Maybe there's just a little bit of spiritual pride still in there. 
Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. Now that's going to be confusing because God did not call those things clean. When did God make those things clean? When did that happen? But what God has made clean, do not call impure, is what God says. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. Why three times? Luke doesn't tell us, to be fair, so anything we come up with is conjecture. Now, it could be that there are three servants, and so it was one time for each servant. Maybe. Maybe Peter just works in threes. He denied the Lord three times. Maybe that's just how Peter rolls. Think about it as well. It made me think a little bit of the three times after the denial that the Lord asked Peter, do you love me? And didn't know, he didn't know what to do about it. And here he doesn't know what to do about it either. So maybe there's something with that. Maybe Peter's just stubborn. And it took three attempts to kind of get the message across. Three times and the object was taken up into heaven. While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean. Now I want to just stop a little bit and talk about dreams and visions. Because we believe that God still speaks in dreams and visions. Amen? Yes. Um, I think I've had one vision in my whole life. God doesn't normally speak to me in dreams and visions. I normally find that God uses words and fragments of sentences or points my attention to a Bible passage. But there are people in this room, I know, who receive dreams and visions as the normal way that God speaks. And I want to take this opportunity to say, yes, God speaks that way today. I believe it fully. Actually, I think God wants to up our faith for him to speak in that way more. I'm so glad that we have got the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. It is a sure foundation that we can build our life upon. Because in here, we see Jesus. But what we won't find in here is what we're necessarily supposed to do in this situation that is before us. There are specific instructions that sometimes God wants to give us. And in that mode, he can give us dreams and visions to do it. Trouble is, they're sometimes perplexing. Peter was deeply perplexed about the vision he had seen. He didn't know what it meant. And we need to take care sometimes. See, Peter is being given a vision here that technically speaking, strictly speaking, goes against what you see in the Old Testament. Now, partly that is because God is doing something revelatory and special in terms of preparing Peter to accept Gentiles into the church. So I kind of want to say, if you get a vision that seems to go against the Bible, that probably isn't the Holy Spirit. I don't believe the Holy Spirit does that today. Now, it might just challenge your perception of what the Bible says. And for that means you have to actually talk about this in community. If you get a vision that confuses you, that perplexes you, to use the word that Luke uses here, 
Talk about it with someone. It might be that they remember a Bible passage that casts it in a different light, or it might be that they can confirm the sense that, do you know what, I don't think that's God. Let's throw that one to one side. We'll not throw it away, but let's just put it to one side and not do anything about it right now because we need to weigh it and work it out. Now, in this particular instance, what God is really doing, he is setting the stage for what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. He is setting the stage for that one new man in Christ made up of Jew and Gentile. And to do that, he has to overcome 2,000 years of prejudice, of Israeli prejudice, of Hebrew prejudice that says, we're the special ones, we're the chosen ones, and of course they are, but it misses the hints in the Old Testament. And it is hints that actually God has a bigger plan for the Gentile people as well. For example, Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, I will bless you and through your seed i will bless the nations of the world yeah the very point where abraham is told i'm going to make you a father of nations he is told through your seed through isaac and then ultimately through jesus i will bless all the nations of the world in isaiah you've got the the time in i think it's around about chapter 14 15 when egypt now, Egypt is the big bad, as far as Israel is concerned. Egypt is the one that held them in captivity. But Egypt is promised that they are going to come to know Yahweh. They are going to come to know the God of Israel. More than that, they are going to have such a relationship with the God of Israel that when they are in trouble, they're going to call out to Yahweh and Yahweh is going to help them. You've got the promises about rebuilding the tabernacle of David that will call the nations to worship the one true God of Israel. So there are hints in the Old Testament, but that hadn't made its way through to their hopes and expectations for what God was going to do in their day. So this is why God is giving Peter this shocking vision. Now, as I say, it might be that God speaks to you in a way that challenges how you see the Bible, not the Bible itself. But take care with it. Be in faith for it, amen, but take care with it and, and discern it in community. So while Peter was wondering about what the vision might mean, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They knew the culture. They didn't dare go beyond the gate because as Gentiles, they wouldn't be welcome in a Hebrew house. They called out asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was thinking about the vision, the spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. See, God is orchestrating an extraordinary meeting between Ke Peter, Peter, Peter and Cornelius. Not Keita and Pornelius, that's Spoonerism. God is setting up a meeting that has never happened before between a, an apostle and a Gentile, a Jewish apostle and a Gentile. Ha, go with them with no doubts at all because I have sent them. Who believes that God can do this today? God can 
God knows who is seeking him. And God is able to do what he's done here. He is able to give them a sense, I need to go and talk to so-and-so. And he can then talk to so-and-so and say, you need to go and talk to them. I want to sense, suggest that God is asking to, us to raise our faith for him to lead us to those who are seeking him and that he will lead those who are seeking him to us. Lord Jesus, please do it. We want to see it. We want to see people come to faith in you. So Peter went down to the men and said, here I am, the one you are looking for. Why are you here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and hear a message from you. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. That in and of itself is revolutionary. Jew and Gentile under one roof, being given hospitality. The next day he got up and set out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. Notice, Peter didn't go on his own. If you feel like God is calling you to stretch into an unfamiliar place or cross some boundaries that might make people go, okay, he probably doesn't want you to go alone. There is security in brothers and sisters going together into a new place. Yeah? Peter did not go alone. The following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I love that. He's expecting Peter to come. He's expecting to hear something good from God. So he calls his friends and family near. That often seems to be the way that people who come to faith in Jesus just naturally become better evangelists than some of us who have been walking with him for years because they know the difference he makes in a life. And as we see people come to Jesus, I believe we are going to see them also bring their neighbours, their friends, their colleagues, their family to come and hear as well. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshipped him. Now that seems a little bit weird to us, but think of it from Cornelius' perspective. He has come to believe that the God of Israel is the one true God, the God who is worthy of worship, worthy of devotion, and he has chosen this people who he would dearly love to be a part of, but can't. And then you've got this one who is named by God himself as someone who's gonna help him coming to his house I can understand why Cornelius was overawed and tempted to worship him but Peter's having none of it Peter lifted him up and said stand up I myself am also a man I love Peter's heart here these days Quite often, when people get a sense of calling to ministry, sometimes what they'll print out business cards. Apostle Bob. <laughs> Pastor Tim. Evangelist. Run out of names. 
Peter's having none of it. I'm a man, like you. One of the things I love about Terry Virgo, who founded New Frontiers, is if anyone tried to give him any kind of undue respect or honour, he would say, no, just call me Terry. You guys call me John. I might be a pastor here, but my name is not Pastor John. (laughs) My name is John, and I am no better than anyone else in this room. I may well be a lot worse. (laughs) There is a humility here that Peter doesn't buy into that stuff, and I love that. We can't get too big, too big for our own boots. We can't think too highly of ourselves. While talking with him, Peter went in and found a large gathering of people. Michael Eaton's commentary says this, and I'd never thought of this before. This is the first time Peter has set foot in a Gentile house. First time in his life. He is breaking down boundaries and leaving behind the ghetto he's lived in his whole life. It's amazing. Peter said to them, you know, it is forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. Peter understands. He was perplexed by what the vision meant, but now he knows what it means. And now he knows what he must do. And there are these three phases in God speaking. I'm sure people have heard this before, but there are three phases. There's revelation, there's what God shows us, there's interpretation, what it even means, and there's application, what you're supposed to do about it. And these are the steps that Peter's gone through. And interpreting particularly dreams and visions can be tricky. We had this at our prayer and prophecy night a couple of weeks ago. Eddie had something and he wasn't quite sure what it meant to start with. Uh, A turtle or a tortoise putting his head out of the shell and moving ever so slowly. We didn't quite know what it meant, but by the end of the evening, we felt that we had the sense of the interpretation, which is that God is calling us to poke our heads out of the shells. And even if it's slowly but surely starting to move out of where we feel fully comfortable and into where he is calling us. Peter's gone through the same thing. He didn't know what it meant that all of these unclean animals were being presented to him and being told to kill and eat. But now he knows. God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That is why I came without any objection. That is the application. He put it into action. He came, even though it was forbidden, even though it was against the taboos of Israeli society, he came when I was sent for. So may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then, a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. 
So I immediately sent for you and it was good for you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. What a setup. Imagine being told that God gave me a vision that I was supposed to call you here. So now, what have you got to tell us? I don't have a sermon in my back pocket, actually. No, Peter knew exactly what he was going to say. Surprise, surprise, he's going to tell them about Jesus. We're not there yet. We're going to get, that's where we're going to launch back into Acts when we come back into it. I know. You can read it at home. You're allowed. <laughs> it is a cliffhanger. We're going to pick it up again. But what a setup. To summarise, here we see God setting the stage to extend the gospel to the Gentiles, like you and me. Peter's bold faithfulness and obedience opened the way for Gentile people to come in to the church. That's ultimately what happens. And in fact, if anything, you could say it may have gone too far the other way because now the church is almost entirely Gentile and God needs to save the people of Israel once again. But one of the things I love about what God was doing through Peter and Cornelius meeting is that it's introducing not just one people in the church, but all the peoples of the world in the church. One of the things I love about Trinity Life Church is from day one, we have been a multinational church. And it kind of helps when you have a multinational family and then you're the lead couple planting. But the first couple that joined us was from Nigeria. And we've had other people from other nations come and join us and come and take part in some of our meetings. I love that all of these nations, all of these peoples are being built together into one people in him so that we can testify to the world that there is a God who welcomes all. We see God using dreams and visions to set things in motion for the preaching of the gospel. The dreams and the visions in and of themselves don't mean that the gospel doesn't need to be preached. We need both. I hope you see that. And I feel like he wants us to expect him to speak and to lead and guide us step by step in this mission that he has us on. We're going to have to talk about what each thing that he shows us means and what we're supposed to do about it. For example, if Peter simply went non-kosher as a result of his vision, if he started eating um, pork as a result of what God showed him, but he stayed in his Jewish ghetto he would have missed what God was really trying to do. So when God speaks to us, we need to talk about what does this mean for, for you? What does this mean for me? What does it mean for us as Trinity Life Church? And then what are we supposed to do about it? It's going to be an adventure. It's going to be fun. It's going to be perplexing, but it's going to be good. May we have Peter's boldness to go outside our Christian ghettos to reach and save the lost. One of the things that's difficult about when you come into the church is that as you, as you 
invest in the relationships in the church what can often happen is you reach that place of ultimate sanctification where you have zero non-christian friends amen is that what god wants for us no we have to break out of this situation where we only know people in church because who else are we going to tell we can tell each other great but we want to tell people that don't know him about Jesus. Amen? So my final question, and we're going to worship just a little bit to close up. I haven't looked at the time, to be fair. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Who is God leading you to? Who is he placing you next to, to rub shoulders against and then share him with? Who is he leading us to? And who can you take with you? Should we pray? I'll vacate the stand. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the story that we see of Peter and Cornelius. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that you have a similar adventure for each and every one of us and for us as Trinity Life Church. Lord, I pray that you would show us through whatever means we need, whether it's uh, just spotting an opportunity, whether it's a dream or a vision or a hunch that that person over there needs you. Lord, that you would speak to us, you would lead us to those that need to hear about Jesus Christ who loves them. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you give us wisdom together? And Lord, would you break us out? of this Christian ghetto that we find ourselves in. Lord, would you cause us to make friends with people who don't know you yet? Would you cause us to bless people who need to know you? Lord Jesus, that in it all, the good news of King Jesus, the good news of the King who laid his life down, the good news of the King who was raised back to life so that we could be with him, so that we could be your people. Lord, may that good news go out to those that need it. Lead us, give us strength, give us boldness, give us confidence in you. And Lord Jesus, would you send us to those who need you? We ask all of this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.